pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, for the morning, and I especially want to thank you uh, for a really rich time of of worshiping you. And now as we uh, delve into your word here uh, and spend some time and study together, that um, your spirit would just uh, speak to us. There's a lot of content uh, embedded in these verses. And so I'm guessing that every person's going to walk away with a little bit of a different take home today. It's just kind of one of those days uh, where where I think that could happen. I just want to pray that your spirit would meet us where we are um, and and, and speak to us the truth you want us to receive through this text. We again thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Without uh, really phrasing it this way, we do have a tendency at different points in our life to consider worthiness. I want you to think about that, that word for just a minute worthiness. So you may remember when you decided to propose uh, to, to your girlfriend or, or, or maybe you did the proposing and, and to your boyfriend, whatever the case may be, and you were ready to propose and you were thinking, man, I've got to do a proposal here that matches the worthiness of who I believe this person is. Right? So I, I want this engagement to be extra special, extraordinary. Um, that was my intention. I ended up meeting Cheryl. I picked up the ring had the intention of making it beyond worthy. It was in my pocket. I just proposed right then, right? Just, just on the spot. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't wait any longer. But that, that's a lot of times we, we want to be worthy. Or if you're pregnant and you're doing a gender reveal, you might feel this internal pressure with the gender reveals now that, that it just match how great we believe this gift is. If you're doing a presentation at work, you might be, man, I want, I want this presentation to match the worth of my abilities and my credentials. We wouldn't phrase it this way, but we tend at different points in our life to think about worthiness. And this is Paul's point today as we continue in in our series called Practice uh, Resurrection, that he's gonna talk about, we have received this calling from God to know him and worship him and obey him. And this calling is given to us by grace on one hand here, but on the other hand, when we consider the calling and what it costs Jesus in particular to invite us into his family, we do want to live a life worthy of the calling we have received, right? And Paul's going to teach us what this looks like. Here's what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all uh, and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given just as Christ apportioned it. This is why he says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each does its work. So, when you consider Paul's circumstances when he wrote the book of Ephesians, that he is writing this book from prison, he's trying to offer encouragement to the Ephesians. He says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you, you live a life, those of you especially not in prison, although Paul, will talk about this in a minute, Paul learned to do this from prison. He says, since you're not in prison, I especially want to encourage you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And on a macro level, right, on a macro level, this is certainly talking about the call to Jesus, This is a huge part of what Ephesians is talking about, that he has called you and he has invited you into a relationship with him. So this affects our lives. This affects our calling, or at least it should. I've met many people in America. This is not true in the third world, and this is not true in areas where persecution is happening, but a lot of American Christians almost treat Christianity as a hobby they engage in. Right? They enjoy the messages and the worship. They watch services from megachurches online. It is almost a hobby. Christianity, though, is a terrible hobby. It, is, it was never intended to be a hobby. It was intended to be a lifestyle where Christ is our Lord and our Savior and our King. Christ didn't come and die to give us an additional hobby. He came to be our Lord and our Savior and King. And so we want to live a life worthy of that calling, like Paul says. But on a micro level, that's the macro level, on a micro level, we have a calling in life. And there are two ways that this kind of happens. One is what I would call the causal will of God. I've taught you about this before, where God calls us into a calling. And we may love that calling or we may not feel great about that calling. And then there's the permissive call of God that sometimes living in a broken and and fallen world, he permits a calling into our life and someday he will return and rescue and redeem and make things right. And for some of us in this room right now, we love and appreciate our current calling. The calling you have right now, you would come in here and you say, man, the calling right now that either God caused or God permitted, however you want to look at that, and, and sometimes both those things can be true, but the calling I have received, you would say, I love this current season, I love this current calling, it's great. And for some in this room, you do not love your current calling. It is hard, and it is difficult, and it is discouraging. Paul gets you. Paul gets you. He is writing this in prison. And I am sure that this required great, dense, and hard spiritual work. But he had said, in prison, I have figured out from prison what it looks like to live a life worthy of the calling I have received. Remember what he said earlier? He said, here's how he arrived at this point. He said, I am a servant of the gospel. And I can serve the gospel from prison. I can serve the gospel free. I can serve the gospel happy. I can serve the gospel discouraged. I can serve the gospel in whatever circumstances I find myself in. I can do that from prison. This is my current calling. Whether God caused it or permitted it, this is my current calling. And I am going to serve the gospel well. There are times... Maybe you've been through seasons like this. I know I have. There have been times where we feel like I just have to get through fill in the blank so that I can arrive at my true calling, right? I have to get through this season of singleness so that I can arrive at my true calling called marriage. 
I have to get through this season of childlessness to get to my true calling of family. I have to get through this season of sickness so that I can get to my true calling called health. And I get it. And listen, can I give you some hope? Callings change. Maybe an easier calling or a better calling or a calling you desire is right around the corner. I get that. But I think what Paul would encourage us to do from prison, by the way, I I want you to, Paul gets us, right? This is a real person experiencing real trials and difficulties. I think Paul would ask, what if you came to a position where you said, this is the calling I have right now? And I don't know if God caused it or God permitted it. That is a dense theological matter that we can wrestle with in another sermon. That's not the point of this sermon. But what if we just said, this is my call. I don't love it. I don't even like it. I I don't wish it were true. But this is my calling that I am in right now. And what if the next thought you had was, all right, if this is my calling right now on a micro level, what would it look like to live a life worthy of the calling I have received? What would it look like to live out my calling well? Paul tells us. Aren't you so glad you asked that question, right? Paul goes on to tell us. He said, here's what it looks like to live a life worthy of the calling you have received in Christ. He says, what it looks like is humility. That in tough times, pride says, I don't deserve this calling. I don't want this calling. This calling is not befitting of me. And in great times, pride says, I deserve this calling. I worked hard for this calling. Things are going great for me because I'm a great person. And neither entitlement or discouragement will lead us to live a life worthy of the calling we've received. Entitlement will cause you to make the calling about serving you instead of others, because quite frankly, you're awesome. Discouragement will cause you to not live out a healthy calling because you're angry and you're frustrated and you're discouraged. Several years ago, a lady in our church found out she had cancer and was terminal. And it is, whether it's God's causal or permissive, those are deep theological questions, but it is a tough call. It is a tough calling to find out you're in the end stages of your life. And she asked me to come over. And so I went over to her house, and it was highly emotional because this was someone I love and I care about, and it, it just it was a tough conversation. And she, I'll never forget what she said to me. She said, Steve, a lot of people ask, why me? She said, I find myself asking, why not me? I love the Lord. I love my family. I am willing to use this to give glory to his name. Why not me? And it struck me as so humble It struck me as so humble. And it was someone who was like, man, I'm not thrilled about this. I'm not happy about this. This is not the calling I would want to give myself. This is not the calling I was hoping to receive. But this is the calling I have. And I am going to live a life worthy of it. And I'm going to be humble. Be humble and you will find yourself in this sweet spot of being a servant to the gospel. In tough callings, you'll serve the gospel. In easier callings, you'll serve the gospel. Be humble with the God who calls Paul goes on and says, gentleness and patience is a way that we can live a life worthy of the calling we receive. So one of the things that happens during difficult seasons or difficult callings is that the very first thing to go is a sense of gentleness and patience with one another. And we have had a front row seat to this 
the last three years as an American culture, as a world culture, the last three, almost four years, that none of us have liked the calling we have received the last couple years. And we have seen in our culture an absence of gentleness and an absence of patience. But it's true. If you were to look back on the callings you have received, you would say, the times I feel like I was living a life worthy of that calling, the times I feel like I was killing it, are the times where I was gentle and patient. The times that you were patient with your kids. Oh, I, sometimes I hate the walkthrough on Sunday mornings of, of the sermons because last night I had a huge conflict with my kids. And I was not gentle and I was not patient. And then we went to bed all angry and frustrated and angsty. And I got up, it was like, if you want to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, be gentle and patient. Hmm. Paul has gone from preaching to meddling, and I don't appreciate it, <laughs> right? Be gentle and patient. The times that you were patient with a coworker, those are the times you feel like you're killing your calling. The times you offered a gentle word and not a harsh one, Paul says patience and gentleness are the keys to living out our calling. We've mostly been applying, applying this to individuals, to our individual calling. But remember, Paul's actually writing to a church here. Uh, um, and so some of this has to do with church life and church culture. And so he's addressing that when he says, a huge part of living a life worthy of the calling you have received happens in the context of church. It happens in the context of community. And, so he's, and this is a huge kind of part of it. That we wanna, if we want to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received, it's probably going to happen in the context of community. And so he goes on to say, here's one thing you can do, church family. Bear with one another in love. Bear with one another in love. So within the context of this room, we have a wide variety of individual callings. And, part, and some callings are a joy, and some callings are so difficult. But part of the beauty of the church is that we are not alone in our calling. So part of the beauty of this place is that when someone is going through a tough call or a tough season, we bear one another's burdens. And this might happen through prayer. It might happen through a delivered meal. It might happen through a financial gift. It might happen through an active, an active service. But this is the beauty of the church, right? That we are a, a group of people that have wildly different callings through wild seasons, different seasons. And part of what we do for one another is we say, hey, I'll help bear your burden. This calling's a burden, you won't bear it alone. I'm gonna pray for you, I'm gonna help you, I'm gonna serve you. We bear one another's burdens. Now the other truth that Paul gets to right after this has to do with the calling of a church, that while you have an individual calling as a person, we also have a calling as a collective group. And so Paul says to the church, the way your church can live out the calling they have received is through unity. Uh, it's through being unified. Our calling as a church we believe this so much that we have it written on almost everything you receive from us is that we want to be a growing family journeying together to be more like Jesus. That is our call. We believe that God has placed us in this part of the city at this time. He's given us the gospel through Jesus Christ and we are called to serve this community with the love of Christ and the good news of Jesus. We have a call as a collective group. And it is important that we remain unified. I love how Paul says it. There is one Lord, one faith, and one baptism. And when we miss unity, some of you, this is your church background. You know what this feels like. When we miss unity, when the church becomes divided, we miss the one thing that is most important. We miss the one person that, that we are trying to make this thing about, Jesus. 
So of course we want to be unified around Jesus because he is the one that will change us and transform us. We want to guard against disunity as a church because you know what disunity does? Disunity distracts from Jesus. So a church has a calling as a church family. It's like, man, we are supposed to make Jesus' name great. We're supposed to invite people to him. We're supposed to make him known to our community. And in a divided church, all of a sudden it's like, no, the topic isn't Jesus, it's carpet color. Right? Or the topic isn't Jesus, it's music. Or the topic isn't Jesus, it's politics. And all of a sudden, in a divided church, all of a sudden the topic becomes about something way less important than Jesus. And so he says, you got to guard unity. Disunity, as we've seen in our culture, disunity comes way too easy. You have to guard for unity. You have to make sure unity happens. Why? Because it is so important that people meet Jesus. You know what happened years later? John is writing the book of Revelation, and he says about the Ephesian church, the, the church in Ephesus, he says, your lampstand, your light is about to go out. This church that Paul started and loved. And when, when he, Paul goes to Jerusalem, you remember he is pulled away from them to go to Jerusalem, weeping and crying. And they're weeping and crying. They loved each other so much. And a few years later in the book of Revelation, it's like, you have lost your first love. You have lost your love of Jesus. Your light is about to go out. And I have seen this happen in church after church after church. I used to uh, work as an, as an admissions counselor for my alma mater up in Michigan. And I would visit a lot of churches. And you would walk into a church, and sometimes you'd look around and you'd say, man, there's nobody in this church in their 40s. Or there's nobody in this church in their 20s. Or there's nobody in this church in their 60s. And you would start to kind of ask around about it, and you would find out that there came a time where there was a conflict in that church, and a huge split happened, and all of a sudden, an entire generation of person is gone. Just gone. And, and that is what is so important about guarding unity. Because it is through unity that the message of Jesus is preserved and people are, are invited into their macro calling to know Jesus, to love Jesus, to obey Jesus, and to be transformed by Jesus. He must be front and center. He must be the main attraction. So we guard unity, as Paul says. And Paul is specifically talking about your contribution. And here's what is true. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God will not be division. Right? Someday when you pass away and your family is standing around, what they will not say is, you know what their greatest contribution to this family was? How angry they were. You remember that? I just remember that so fondly. How they yelled at everyone about everything. Your greatest contribution will not be division. It will not be what you fight for. It will not be what you will battle. It will not be how you win. Your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God will be how you exercised your spiritual gift, how you spoke the truth in love, how you served other people, the way you love the people around you. And God cares so much about this, about individuals and churches living a life worthy of the calling that they have received. He says he gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. These are the building up gifts. We think of them as leadership and authoritative gifts, but they are the building up gifts. These are the gifts of the preaching and the teaching and engaging people so that they can live a life worthy of the calling they've received and 
and so that their church can live a life worthy of the calling it has received. Here's how Paul says it. So that the body, he raises up these types of gifts so that the body of Christ may be built up. It is the role of leadership to build up the body of Christ. Your translation might read, to edify the body of Christ. Now notice, he's not specifically talking about a building here. We, we just got done a couple years ago with Now is the Time, which was uh, renovating our space and trying to touch every square inch of it. That's not what this is talking about, although that's valuable. This is talking about teaching people, preaching the Bible, serving people. This is talking about the people work churches are called to do so that the body of Christ can be built up. Just to be honest, I, I hate preaching sermons about preachers because I am one. But this text talks about it, so let me talk about it for a minute. I feel the weight of this. I feel the weight of this. And I know that not every sermon lands. Some are barn burners. Some I'd like to burn in a barn, right? <laughs> that, that's just the truth of the matter. But every sermon is cared about because it's important to me that we perform this function as well as we can so that you can live a life worthy of the calling you've received, so that I can live a life worthy of the calling I have received, and so that we can live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Paul goes on to say, until we all reach unity in the faith. And when the body is built up, this is the natural outcome. There's unity of, of the faith, unity around Jesus. And this is the difference between healthy and growing churches and churches that are struggling. Sometimes it's thinking, you know what we need? We need higher production, more video, more jokes, more humor, whatever the case may be. We, we need more of, of something. And I don't want to dismiss some of that because in this culture, that some of that might be effective, but just something happens when the church is on mission and unified. There is an excitement in a church that is unified. New people are coming, they're being baptized, they're growing in their, their faith. And a well-produced video can accomplish some things and, and can do exciting things. But you know what's even more exciting? If you walked in here next Sunday and there were no seats available. Because there were so many people here eager to hear God's word. And we were streaming out in the lobby because we were just overflowing with people that were eager to hear God's word. Paul goes on. That we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Next time you're in a hallway, you'll see that maturity is one of our core values. This is what maturity looks like. It's knowledge of the Son of God, but also attaining the whole measure of the fullness of God. So you can go to a Bible study and you can learn about Jesus. We just wrapped up one uh, that was a long kind of expose on the life of Jesus. And I hope people learned a ton about Jesus in that study. But that's only one half of maturity. It is growing in your knowledge of him, but it's also becoming like him. Here's how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. And we all who, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we contemplate the Lord's glory, we grow in our knowledge, and we are transformed by the Spirit into his image, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And I think that over time, this is what happens. We grow in our knowledge, the Spirit works in that growing of our knowledge to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, in every area of life, we just expect maturity. In every area. So when I was growing up, my dad used to tell the story of that it was very important to my dad and my mom that my sister and I took a bite, at least one bite, of every 
item that was on the table. Now, you might find this hard to believe, but I was a stubborn child. I, I, I was a stubborn child. And so my dad talks about these moments where these would go on for hours, these standoffs. And I am crying, and I am pleading, and I am trying to make, please don't make me eat the peas. To this day, I won't eat them, right? Please don't make me eat the peas. Please don't make me eat the peas. And just begging and pleading and sorrow and, and you know, I'll do anything. I will do anything, right? That's when I was five. So you can imagine if we invited you over for dinner after church and you came over to our house and Cheryl lays out this beautiful meal and all of a sudden I start crying at 47. <laughs> I won't eat it. No. Steve says no. <laughs> I won't eat that. I don't like it. You'd be like, I don't believe in our pastor anymore. <laughs> I, he seemed like, you, you, you would not expect a 47-year-old to act like a five-year-old, right? You, you just would not expect that. I remember when I, was a, when I was a teenager, my friends and I were in our garage. We had this garage right by our house. And for some stupid reason, we started playing with fire, all right? And it started to burn out of control. And I will tell you, I was legitimately afraid I was about to burn my parents' garage down. Um, and I wouldn't be standing here right now if that happened. I, I, it just would be over. I, I was genuinely afraid that that garage was going to burn down. I, I was like a teenager at that point. You can imagine if you came over for lunch today, like, hey, what happened to your garage? I was playing with fire. I was playing with fire in the garage, and it kind of burned out of control. Ha, ha, ha. And you're like, I'm never listening to you preach again. Because you don't expect a 47-year-old to act like a 16-year-old. Last example of it, when I was a freshman in college, um, I was racing some friends home from a bowling night. Um, freshman year of Bible college. Racing some friends home, and I got pulled over by like 10, 10 police officers because they believed I was driving under the influence. I was in Bible college. The only influence I was driving under was the influence of stupidity. All right? Um, and uh, yeah, just the influence of stupidity. But you can imagine picking up the newspaper... Local pastor arrested for racing. You, you, we don't expect a 47-year-old to act like a teenager or a five-year-old or, or a freshman in college, right? right? We, we just don't expect it. We expect maturity. So in church world, maturity means that we expect people to look more and more like Jesus. As we point people to him, as we worship him, as we grow in our knowledge of him, that people will be slowly transformed into his likeness. And sometimes you'll interact with someone and it's like, I feel like you've been going to church for a long time. You don't seem any different than you were before. And in my experience, what has happened is there's a breakdown of Jesus-centered focus when it comes to their church life. That maybe church has become a hobby, or maybe it's become a club. Maybe it comes a social interaction. The truth of that is, maybe they feel like it's fire insurance for someday when they die right? But it's not Jesus-centered. And so this maturing stops. A maturing stops because the point of this is to be Jesus-centered. And as we grow in our knowledge of him, we are slowly and completely changed into his likeness. And you might be here today, and you might be tempted to say, you know what, Steve? I am too old to change. You might be tempted to say that. I am too old to change. You can't teach an old dog new tricks. And I want to say to you, you're wrong. You are never too old to change. You can change. 
My grandfather, for much of my dad's life, was an abusive alcoholic. There came a time when he had a health crisis, and he called, on, he called my dad, and he said, my, my heart is in huge trouble. Would you, would you pray for me? And that was the first time my grandfather had ever asked that. He said, would you pray for me? And we prayed for him, and we continued to pray for him. And after he got past that health crisis, he started coming to church, and he started reading his Bible every day. He, he changed. I watched him change in his 70s. And if he can change, you can change. Here's the result. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to him, we will grow to become in every respect the matured body of him who is the head, that is Christ. For him, the whole body is joined together and held together by every supporting ligament. It grows and it builds itself up in love as each part does its work. And as you mature, maturity becomes peace. And in the storm of culture, we could use some peace. That you will know what is true. That despite what is said in culture, despite what is said by other people, you will know what is true because you are mature in Christ. With maturity comes life change, that you will look more and more like the head that is Christ. And that's awesome because he's awesome. And with maturity comes a healthy family of believers who will love and support you and help you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. It's through mature believers that we will accomplish our mission of being a growing family, journeying together to be more like Jesus. That's what we're trying to do. It is in this moment that we have an opportunity as a church and as a people to mature and become like Jesus and to truly live a life worthy of the calling we have received. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for his sacrifice. And as we get ready to enter into a time of communion, I just want to pray for us right now that if there are areas right now that we're not like you, please, would you please make us aware of that? Would you convict us? Would you motivate us? I know you'll help us to overcome those things so that we can truly live a life worthy of the calling we've received. We can live a life worthy of what you've invited us into. Would you help us to do it right now? It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We have this incredible example that we're going to remember right now of Jesus who lived out his calling so well. And I am sure that that calling of Jesus to go to the cross and pay for our sins, we know how tough it was uh, from the scriptures and how, you know, he said, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But Jesus lived out his calling. And so we want to remember that, that his example, his calling, and we want to ask him for his help, like I said in the prayer, that if, I, if there's some way that I'm not like you, Jesus, I'm sure there are many, please let me know. Convict me, motivate me, help me, because I want to be mature. I don't want to be someone that's been following Jesus for 50 years, but I act like a five-year-old Christian. I just, I don't, or, or a 16-year-old. I don't, I don't want to be that way. I want to mature. So Jesus, would you, would you convict us and help us? And right now, we believe that happens through this moment, that something supernatural happens during communion where we remember how he lived out his calling. And just something special happens in this room as we remember that and we're motivated by it 
and we really truly look at what Jesus did on the cross and how he paid for our sins, and three days later he resurrected. So the ushers are going to pass out communion, two cups stacked on top of each other, and you can just spend some time with the Lord thinking about his calling and thinking about your calling and asking him to convict you of sin or of some immaturity. And then I'll come back up in just a minute and we'll receive it all together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, I want to pray for every single person in this room, every, every, every person that's listening online. I want to pray for people right now that love their calling. And this is just a season of life where this calling from you right now, it is a joy for them. I want to pray that they wouldn't get lost in the joy of that calling, but that they would live a life worthy of the calling they have received. And I want to pray for people in this room that they do not love their calling right now. And they are praying that it would change or that you would call them to something else. I want to pray right now that they would, through the power of your spirit, find a way to live a life worthy of the calling they have received and that, that, would, uh, that they would lean into that and that your gospel and Jesus would be seen through their actions. Um, those seasons are so hard and so difficult. So I want to pray for encouragement for them. I pray today was encouraging for them and that they would find a way to live out their calling in a way that glorifies you and makes your name great. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to close our, our service with one last song of worship. If you have a, a prayer request or a prayer need or you want to hear more about Jesus, our elders, a couple of our elders are going to be in the overflow right after church. I will be in that classroom across the hallway from there. If you have questions or, or comments or need clarification about any of the bylaw changes, I'll be over there and would love to meet with you there. Um, God bless you guys. May we live a life this week worthy of the calling we have received. Will you stand? And let's close with one last song of worship.